You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast Deer Season Special. These bonus episodes revolve around deer hunting stories and experiences from a host of deer hunters. These whitetail hunting BS sessions will be launched every week during the 2023 hunting season, adding fuel to your fire in the deer woods. Be entertained and hopefully learn something along the way. The title sponsor of the Deer Season Special Series is Vantage Point Archery, home to the toughest machined one-piece broadheads made in the USA. VPA products are built to last, which is why they have a lifetime warranty, and if you're not completely satisfied, you can send it back, which I highly doubt will occur. New to the lineup this year is VPA's Omega Broadhead. It combines the features of a single bevel with strength of a double bevel. This broadhead also comes with lay-flat sharpening technology. You heard right, a single bevel broadhead you can lay flat and sharpen without a jig. You can find the Omega and all the other broadheads at vparchery.com. The Pennsylvania Woodsman is also brought to you by Radix Hunting, home of the M-Core cell camera, stick-and-pick camera accessories, and much more. Also brought to you by Vitalize Seed, a one-two planting system designed with diversity and biology in mind, making it the best food plot available. And lastly, by Huntworth Gear, quality hunting clothing at an affordable cost, makers of heat boost technology. This week's guest is Aaron Pascaret from Legendary Pursuits YouTube channel. Aaron and I have a deer hunting conversation that revolves around filming our own hunts and how he got started. We discuss out-of-state hunting trips and dynamics within a hunting group on a trip like that. We discuss some of his successful hunts he's taken recently in New York, including the buck and bear that he killed last year and a buck that he killed this year with a rifle. We talk about late season hunting a little bit, flintlock muzzleloaders, tracking in the snow, and much, much more. It's a back and forth deer hunting conversation that anybody can relate to for this time of year. This is going to wrap up the last bonus episode of the deer season special for 2023. I hope you guys really enjoyed these extra episodes all focused on deer hunting throughout the season. We really appreciate you listening and tuning in. Your, uh, your feedback would be wonderful and has been great thus far, but any more feedback, if you like this series and would like to see this done more, please reach out to us at Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and you can also email us at pawoodsmanpodcast at gmail.com. Again, we really appreciate your contribution and your support for our show, and we look forward to bringing much, much more to you in 2024. Thank you very much. Happy New Year, and let's get to this episode with Aaron. We'll get rolling. So joining me on this week's episode, I've got Aaron Pascaret. Thank you so much for joining us. How you been? Good, man. 
appreciate you inviting me on. Always looking forward to talking about hunting. It's hard to not talk about hunting. I mean, it, my wife, you know, bless her heart, you know, she understands I'm a little bit nutty. But she, uh, she always says, don't you run out of stuff to talk about? I said, Leanna said, have you ever heard me stop talking about hunting? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. My, my wife could relate to that. Yeah, I, I feel like most of us can. If we're kind of ate up with it, we, uh, it, it's just natural, right? But anywho, man, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from. I mean, I know you uh, you do some YouTube channel, do some videoing. Um, I know you're just big time into hunting in general. You know, tell us about yourself. Uh, born here in Northwest PA, but I actually grew up in the southwestern part of the state. Uh, moved my family back up here five or six years ago. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I love this area of the state here. So I was always drawn to it. Uh, yeah, I've been filming my hunts for, I think it's 11 years this year. Uh, right when I got out of high school, I saw the Leatherwood guys on YouTube. And I think probably, I don't know, 75% of the channels out there, if you ask them how they got started, that's one of the first things that they say, you know, they Saw John Royer and those guys uh, running around with flint locks and recurves. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I just uh, I just do it for the fun of it. I love capturing memories, my memories, other people's memories, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of work, but wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, and that's unique because I've I've talked to. A- done this a bunch now had a couple people on the show this year that film hunts whether they have a youtube channel they just do it for fun or whatever um and i've said it before i don't have the patience for it but i mean like tell me a little bit about the journey in filming 11 years because you know for me it was oh yeah i'm gonna film this i'm gonna take a camera with i'm gonna get all these shots and this and that and then you start doing the work and you go okay this is a little bit of a pain but i'll still run through and you know one of the things i did i i went cheap on of course everything well of course then your camera arm isn't the way it should be and i struggle to get certain angles and then all it takes is a little bit of extra noise or not practicing and you know deer gets out of frame when you go to get a shot i remember one of the first doe i tried to shoot you know had it on a tripod i was in a blind and then i'm set i drew back shot her and when i went and reviewed the footage it wasn't on i was like just throwing myself so tell me about that journey and like is it is it your demeanor as a person that you're just you, you know you're you're comfortable running through? Do you still struggle with that? Yeah, I mean, I think if anyone tells you that they film their hunts, especially self filming, and they have it all worked out and nothing ever goes wrong, they're not telling the truth to you. Uh, I think like the first three years you do it, like if you. I bet you 90% of the people drop out. If you can fight through that first, even two years, you'll start to work the kinks out of it. And like you said, you started with stuff that wasn't super expensive. And I did the same thing. Uh, Campbell cameras used to be a website that would sell hunting uh, camera equipment. And I bought like a refurbished camera, a gorilla camera arm. It was like the cheapest little square tubing thing you could do. And, uh, I mean, I think when you go into it and you don't have a bunch of sponsors and you don't have a ton of pressure, like you're the only one applying the pressure to yourself, you have a better chance of 
liking it and sticking with it. Uh, it's, it's never not going to be a pain though. You're going to haul in that gear. Like my brother, we hunt a lot together and he, every once in a while, he'll pick up my stand with my bag on it. And he's just like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like camera arm, camera, GoPros, batteries, you know, all the things. And so often you don't get it. It doesn't all come together. But when it does, and you can go back and watch it, that makes it completely worth it to me. Well, and I, I think that's the the pretty cool part there. The uh, the pretty cool part about that there is, like, if you're not doing it for anything other than yourself, it's just like hunting in general. I don't hunt for anybody else. I don't, like, any deer or animal that I've harvested, I've never once shot something because I thought it was for someone else or because it was going to impress something else. I did it because that's what I wanted to do. So if you take that same approach with filming and say, I want to film this, whatever happens, happens, I'm going to do the best job I can, and I'm going to enjoy the process of hunting with a camera, and even if I don't get the, the greatest image or greatest video or whatever about the hunt, it's still, I have that, and it, it's there's a part of that I still have as a memory. Yeah, unfortunately, in today's world as hunters, it's almost impossible not to apply pressure to yourself, even if you don't realize that you're doing it, because we're all on social media, we're all seeing what kind of content, how big the bucks are, you know, it's hard not to apply that to yourself, but you can't, when you compare yourself to other people, like you're the only one in your situation, like me taking all my gear onto the local state game lands versus someone, and I'm not knocking them in Iowa, that's got his pre pre-hung stands and the stuff I probably wish I had. Yeah. <laughs> like the quality is going to be different. You know, it's just going to be different because yeah, I mean, I could ramble on about that a lot, but well, ramble about it. I mean, because the way I look at it, I mean, when when this all when, when uh, YouTube and pretty much the the day and age where you could stream stuff instead of you know watching the Outdoor Channel or something like that, and you want to you consume hunting content. I mean, I'll be the first to admit I love to consume hunting content. One of the biggest things when like that that sucked for me growing up, I used to hate it that uh, the television package that my parents had i never got the outdoor channel and my favorite show growing up and i still like to watch it to this day sometimes is the crush with lee and tiffany i i love that and there's a couple reasons why a lot of people talk bad about them but for me i enjoyed them because they started from dirt poor broke nothing passion for whitetails moved to Iowa with nothing, and look how far they've come. Now, you can say whatever you want about the show now, and that's fine. That's your opinion. I just really like their show, the process they did, and they put together great hunts and shot some huge deer. So I really enjoyed that. But, um, you know, them and a, and a host of other people started putting that content out, and it became to the point where it was so redundant of – we go to a private farm in the Midwest and we're going to shoot a big deer. And it was, uh, it, it was, uh, the newness to it kind of wore off. I mean, I, and, and don't get me wrong. I still enjoy watching it, but that's what 
every show became. And then you get into the the streaming age, and you've got YouTube and stuff. And you know, the first one you just brought up earlier, Leatherwood. I mean, we just had John on the show not long ago. Great guy, does it for fun, and some of those hunts are awesome. But the thing that people like about that so much, especially from the state of Pennsylvania, is the fact that you can relate to it. It's hunts that it's like. I could see myself hunting with those people in that exact same way, and it would probably be a blast. Yeah, and I, like at the Outdoor Channel, like you said, I had that growing up, and like it was awesome. Big bucks walking down field edges in daylight. I mean, it always worked out, and honestly, it set me back as a hunter a little bit because when you like I didn't have a whole lot of mentors when I was like, we all hunted rifle season, you know, that's what we did here in PA. But as far as like bow hunting goes, flintlock, all the like turkey hunting, that was all just reading magazines and, and watching at that point, the outdoor channel. And pretty often I found myself on a field edge, you know, in Pennsylvania on ground that's open to other people waiting for that buck to come down the edge and he, he never did, you know, and it, it took a couple years of failure to change that around. And, uh, I mean, I'm kind of getting off what you were wanting to talk about, but you know what I'm saying? It's just, it can kind of set you up for, put yourself in a tough, tough situation. If you think that's how it's going to be. Oh, and absolutely can. I mean, think about how many people, I mean, I did it too. I mean, I, I can think I was pretty fortunate. I had a really good property growing up, but I mean, even some of the stuff we did then we don't do now. And it was a learning curve, right? And it's same. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that. And now like with my job, like I was just out today, soil sampling and I go to farms all over the place. I mean, it's a, it's basically like your one-time free pass to just drive every single farm in the neighborhood, and you just get to see everything. I mean, I get to see some crazy tree stands. I mean, one of my favorite tree stands I ever saw, I will never forget, they took the front end of a Peterbilt truck and put it up, you know, in the air, and that was a rifle deer stand. I mean, it was legit. The Peterbilt front end without the engine in it, obviously, but that was the, the deer stand. I was like, you can't get any more redneck than that. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying that to say I can't go a tree line, a fence row, anything without tree stands, sometimes multiple tree stands. And, uh, you know, I look at those stands, and sometimes I think, yeah, you could definitely kill some deer here. And then there's other times where I think you're probably hunting like a uh, – deer getting chased in rifle season or maybe early in the season but yeah I, I think a lot of that comes and if you're not uh continuing to learn it's probably i mean let's face it it's it's really hard to get out of that if that's all you see what the other people are doing like if you're watching like if you're still in 2023 you're just watching like the outdoor channel for learning how to hunt and you're in pennsylvania or new york or whatever like it that's a pretty big like hurdle to overcome yeah it, it is and that kind of made so like with my youtube channel and with the way i've made videos i've always tried to keep it real like i don't like doing retakes you know how like you can tell like when you watch some of these productions like they shoot the deer then the guy's slipping the safety off pulling the trigger like i'm not 
I'm not knocking it, but it's like I try to capture everything in the heat of the moment, and then that's what I put out to people. I, I show it how it is. My my goal has always been good or bad. I'm gonna try to use this to help other people. Like last year, I shot my best bow buck ever uh, up in the the uh, Allegheny National Forest. There, he came in. I was I kind of lost myself, and I I took a shot that I shouldn't have shot. You know, I just shouldn't have taken that shot. And instead of like sugarcoating it and like you saw my full range of emotions there where it was like I couldn't even be excited initially because I was just sick with myself. But, you know, it took everyone through the track job, explained what we were doing, how we backed out and then like came back the next morning. And by the grace of God, I found him and uh, I knew I was going to catch flack for that video. But like right when I posted it, I was like, listen, when I when I started this 10 years ago, I said, I'm going to good or bad. You're going to get, you know, and I say that like good or bad help people. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to take a bad shot, make an eight second clip of it, put some soundtrack on it and try to get a bunch of likes on Instagram. You know, you, you see a lot of that nowadays and it's hurting us as hunters to put out that kind of content. Like just cause you film, it doesn't need, mean it needs to be out there. Mm-hmm. And it's such a fine line. And well, some yeah, of the, stuff I, the, you know. the fine line of doing what's right versus what people will like is usually different. But man, on the subject you, you brought up last year's hunting season. I mean, the past two I know we were talking a little bit before we got started here. You said you didn't get to to hunt like you normally do, which I'm not sure what that looks like. Let's we'll we'll dive into that. But I know when we were talking earlier in the year, last year you had a phenomenal hunting season, killed two bucks, you know, some some nice bucks. You killed a good buck in New York here. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about what you normally do throughout a hunting season. I mean, I know you're a Pennsylvania hunter, but it seems like New York's a pretty common thing. Are those the two main things you do? What's that usually look like? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, every year being a dad and everything, my hunting season has been pushed back more and more till the end of October, November. Uh, the days of sitting out there on opening day when it's 80 degrees, I just can't afford to to burn a day like that anymore. So, I mean, I, as we were talking before, like my wife's been in school here for the last couple of years. So like my seasons haven't even started really till like November 6th, but generally I get a couple hunts in at the end of October. I really love that last week of October. Like that's, mm. I think it's overlooked. Uh, I've had a lot of luck falling deer in, even rattling them in that, that time frame. But, uh, November 5th through the 9th, we try to hit it pretty hard. Uh, the, the one specific area that we hunt it seems to be when the doe groups come into heat there. And it's just like, that's the best time. I'm going to get the most bang for my, my time there if I wait till then. And, uh, every, every year, me and my little group of guys, we pick a state to go to and usually we'll go to that state for two or three seasons and then maybe keep going or decide we want to do something else. So in 2017, we started doing these hunts. Ohio was on the, the list there. That's where we started. And then uh, I think it's been, this was the third year in New York. So, uh, but yeah, we just try to 
we pick a place and uh sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh yeah, pick a place and kind of hop around, you know, try just try different stuff, keep it fresh. Yeah. Yeah, and uh New York, the first year we went there, it was it was actually pretty rough. Uh, we got I think we shot two bucks, but it was like one right off the bat and one in the fourth quarter. And we we fought for everything we got that year. Uh, the second year, the guys came back surprisingly, even if they that they didn't want to and we had a we had an awesome year i shot a a bear and a buck up there my buddy came with me he shot his he shot it it was like his first time hunting that big of woods and uh he hiked like two miles in to a saddle and uh, a beautiful nine pointer came by him like 20 minutes after daylight <laughs> and he's like yeah this is what it's like you know listen to the podcast you just hike to the top of the mountain you find the saddle you sit down and you, you shoot a buck yeah it's just that simple just that simple <laughs> funny how this was our third year up there and uh hiked up into a saddle pretty far off the road and the plan was to catch catch the deer as they were getting pressure down low we had scouted that saddle in the past and seen bear tracks in the snow lots of deer signs so it was it was on our list but this was the first year we actually sat it and uh it was a fairly slow morning got cold around 10 o'clock and i made my way over to my father-in-law and he said he was getting cold so i was like well i'll stand post here while you take a walk no sooner did he get out of sight of me i caught movement in the brush there pulled up i saw multiple points sticking up in the air and I had one little, I mean, I, I probably never threaded a, a bullet like that in my life, but I, I made a great, I made a good shot. Uh, beautiful little mountain eight pointer. He, uh, it was funny cause well, it was not funny, but his back leg was, was shattered. He had been shot somewhere earlier that morning, but there wasn't a shot within a mile of us. Oh, wow. So, like I got him at like eleven fifteen, so he had to have worked his way up around that mountain a good mile before he actually got in front of me there. Well, the one thing that's crazy too, when you talk about hunting in the mountains and stuff, I noticed that this year more than other years. I mean, I've always probably noticed it, but I just paid attention to it more. Like when I was hunting with a group of guys making drives in rifle season. This this was in bear season and in deer season, like. I know where the guys are. Like I, I took the drives in or was part of the drive that somebody took in and know where the standards were posted. I know where the woods lay, how they lay, the distance and stuff. And there were times that I heard shots and I'm like, there's no way that was any of our guys. That's not in our group. And then you nope. get out through and like the one we had a buck down. I'm like, well, okay, that surprised me. And it's like, it just does weird things in the mountains. So, you know, to your point, there's no doubt in my mind that you can have, you know, a buck shot, you know, mile and a half, two miles away, and later that morning kill him. I'm not discrediting that. I believe it. But it's also crazy in the big woods how, you know, just turning your rifle, you know, you know, 40 degrees one way, how it makes it sound like it's the next mountain over sometimes. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, so... 
my brother that morning also, he shot his best rifle buck ever. Uh, it was this giant, massive nine pointer. It, uh, he was sitting up on this point and he said he heard the deepest grunts he's ever heard while he's been hunting. He just, he thought it was another guy down there on a grunt tube just going to town. So he got his call out and he grunted down there at him, just messing with him. Well, like five minutes later, this doe comes straight up the point with this big buck behind him. And, uh, anyhow, he made a great shot on that. So right off the bat that morning, we had two down. And then we went through another lull. Usually we try to do these things for four days. And then it was on the last day, my, uh, my best friend, he shot, uh, a buck. So all three years we've shot a buck on the last day there and a buck on the first day. Yeah, that sounds like pretty good. And I know like you're talking about hunting big woods in New York, and I'm sure there's probably some parallels to places that you would hunt in Pennsylvania like that, right? So I know the challenges you can face, and that's pretty good. So I'm kind of curious. I was just talking about this with some of the guys that I went to New Jersey with. And uh, like when, when we went to New Jersey, it was four of us, and we all did preseason scouting. Sometimes we scouted together. Sometimes we scouted on our owns, but collaborated. You know, we all knew we did the work together and, and put that stuff together and, you know, had a game plan formed how we wanted to hunt that down there. And, uh, you know, we were talking how some, you know, it. it's funny how when you have success, that breeds interest in, in people wanting to go. Like, I remember when I started out, I asked a couple people, hey, do you have any, I want to do this. Would you like to do it with me? And I had a lot of people, they either couldn't or they didn't want to. And, you know, now we had some success and, you know, people are, of course, more interested. And I'm not knocking them. I don't blame it at all. But I, I bring that whole thing in to be like, you know, you have your, your core group of guys, right? You're, you know, you said your father-in-law, friends, stuff like that. Like, what does that usually look like? Do you guys, so you, you did this hunt for three years. Was the first year, did you guys just, this is where we're going, point on a map, where are we staying, and we're going to hunt from there and go? Or did, was there was there more homework done than that? Uh, yeah, so the first year we had not set foot or eyes on this place until we drove in there the day before the hunt. When I say eyes, we all have Onyx or some sort of mapping app on our phone and i get conflicted about it sometimes i'm almost jealous of our grandfathers not not being able to see what's around every little you know i mean we can see it all we literally can but anyhow we i did do a good amount of scouting on on onyx there and but with those big woods you're looking at terrain features you're looking at hopefully some sort of break in the habitat, but it can be so monotonous. Like there, it's just, it's just big timber. There's hardly any kind of, now when you get in those trees on foot, actually, then you get into the patches of beach brush, you get into the patches where a storm came through and knocked down some big trees and let the sunlight in and a thicket grew up, Mm -hmm. but it's almost impossible to find that from an aerial view. Right. Yeah. So one thing, like people talk a lot about e-scouting and and talking about predicting deer movements from e-scouting and stuff like that. And I understand where a lot of that's coming from. And I understand like how deer use certain terrain features at times, but 
it's it's not a rule. It's just a, a kind of a direction. And uh, I I really I, I know a lot of people will disagree with me. I personally feel when it comes to scout e scouting big woods, it's as much for me just trying to get an understanding of change in topography, elevation, benches. Um, you know, is there a clear cut? Is there a swamp? Is there that type of stuff? But I don't look at e-scouting and say, okay, well, this is this type of saddle and it's this facing way and this is probably where the deer are going to be bedding just based on this. Because so many times if I went into with a preconceived notion like that and I get in there, I'm nowhere even close. And I mean, it, you know, you talk about it, it's an educated sounding way of saying, well, yeah, th- th- for this reason, X, Y, and Z, this is why I think this is going to happen. You get there and it just looks different. And I, I just... I personally chuckle a little bit sometimes when when I, I hear some people talk about e-scouting in that manner, merely for the fact that that has not been my experience. So, like when you talk about e-scouting New York, like what was your what was your experience the first year when you uh, you know kind of e-scouted and then stepped foot in it? Was it what you expected? Was there big learning curves? What was that like? Uh first thing was it was it was way bigger than what it looked like on the map you know it's like we're just going to run up to the top of this this hill and and start there and move on and it was like two hours later we're not to the top of the hill you know and that was had i drove up there and looked at it i would have known what to expect but just the map can be uh it can deceive you sometimes in that aspect but like normally on these hunts for the first time i ever set foot on a place I'm pretty much going in at gray light the first day and, or at least like if, like say I know that that first half mile looks like it won't be too bad. I'll go in before daylight, but like by the time I get to where I think I want to be, it's gray light and I can kind of, okay, yes, no, this is what I was thinking. I need to keep on moving. Uh, cause it's just, if you, if you hold yourself to one specific waypoint on a map and I'm going to go in here and I'm going to sit the whole day, no matter what, especially when you've never laid eyes on the place. I mean, you could be really missing out because just, you know, 500 more yards. If you would have walked, there's a hot Oak flat out there and that's where all the deer were. So that first day and on these group hunts like this, and we're not, we weren't driving deer in New York, but we all kind of, fan out into a couple different areas. And then at the end of the day, we're coming back, we're game planning. And in, in, in woods that big, like the next day we might be, Hey man, come over here with me. I can't cover this at all. Like by myself, I'm tiny. Like there's, there's room to put four of us on this mountain, but the signs there, they're tearing up the cherry trees, whatever. And then we're just, we're just building off each other and, and going back to the fact of having a good crew like that, it's the main reason my crew is small. Like these guys, they re- we re- we all respect each other. The spots stay between us, and like there's no secrets when we get back to camp. It's like, hey man, yeah, I saw four bucks today. Just couldn't get it pulled off. Come with me tomorrow, and that that's hard to find. I hope everyone does, but it you know it's I'm I'm 32 years old, and I'm just it's finally all coming together here. You know. Yeah, and that makes it fun too. Like the way uh, 
my brother-in-law, Robbie, his dad, the way he described it is when you hunt with a group of people like that, and when you come back from the hunt and somebody asks, hey, how was New York? You respond, we shot X amount of deer. It's not, oh, I killed this buck, check this out. It's, this is what we did. When you have that kind of response and you have that kind of camp camaraderie, it is getting to a point where it, that is hard. It's hard for anything else in hunting to top that for me. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Leatherwood guys real quick. Like when I first started watching them, you, you probably saw too their core group there. Like they had six or seven guys with cameras. And, and when I first started, I was like, all right, this is going to be awesome. And I tried to find that and I tried to like force that people would be interested. They'd get, you know, they'd borrow a camera or whatever, but it's just not like that was that was original what they had, you know, it's hard to, you can't, you can't force that. And it's, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of like, I have, I have that now and I'm, I'm happy, right. but like when I was younger, I was like, man, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to create what, what that is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, since we're on the Leatherwood topic, we'll circle back to New York in a little bit, but I have to ask this question cause it's burning in my mind. Now, when you think about the videos that you watched of John and the whole crew there, do you have any specific clips or anything in particular of any video that just lives rent free in your head and you can't get out? Yeah. I mean, it was one for sure is like him walking through the, the pines with his trench coat on and the cowboy hat. Uh, <clears throat> more recently, that one that he had that, did you see the video of him shooting that, that, giant 10 pointer yeah, with that with a 3040 uh, crag yeah with a 3040 yep uh, i think early on though it was just the like shane with the recurve like it was a lot of, like when he shot that big buck out of that hemlock mm -hmm. i probably shouldn't know this all off the top of my head like this but <laughs> but uh, i do too a lot i know the hunts uh, you're talking about because i've watched a lot of them and i i said that because one of the old school ones that just lives rent free, and this isn't even a hunting part, but I got to bring this up. Uh, it was one of the the snowy late season hunts where they were bumping deer. Might have even been one of the ones where they shot them up real close. Um, and I can't even rem for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the guy that was on. He's been on a couple of videos, but he wasn't always a regular. It was not Shane. It was it was another guy. But I will never forget when they panned the camera over to him for the pre hunt interview. He had his recurver, his longbow, and they asked him what broadheads he's shooting. And when they zoomed in, he's got a giant lip of chewing tobacco <laughs> that was punching out of his mouth so hard. And he talked about he's got the Bob Lee Hunter bow and the Magnus Stinger broadheads. And his exact words, and I quote, were, and them bastards are sharp. <laughs> that lives rent-free in my head. <laughs> yep, I know exactly the clip you're talking about. <laughs> Oh, shoot. So, hey, anyway, back to New York. I was kind of curious. So, last year, you had a, I mean, a dynamite season in New York, too, for that matter. I'm not real familiar with New York's hunting. So, you talked about bear hunting a little bit. Um, so, so part of New York is open with bear at the same time that the rifle deer season opens? Yeah, it is. And it's actually a lot of it. Uh I don't know. I, I can't tell you the history of that, whether that's a, <laughs> right. a more recent thing, like if I just lucked into the right time frame or what, but 
yeah, it's kind of cool because their their rifle season comes in on our bear weekend. Yeah, and that's why so, I've never gone to New York. Yeah, and I mean it all kind of coincides with Thanksgiving, and you're getting ready for our deer season. It's not easy. Like Ohio's comes in, like they they open almost on the same day we do, so that's hard. But um, but yeah, you can you can bear hunt while you're buck hunting. It's really hard for non-residents to get doe tags in some areas, so you're you're kind of committing yourself to a buck or bear, and mainly a buck because. But, so I can't remember. Did you shoot the bear first? Yeah, I did. It was uh the second day we were there. We got fresh snow, and I really wanted to track deer. That was my goal if we had snow. And I was going up the mountain, had a fresh track, and I was following it. He started. He slowed down, started to meander. And if you've heard anybody talk about tracking before, that's when you need to start paying attention to yourself and. Cause he's, he's not going to be that far in front of you. Anyhow, slowed down, rifle at the ready, caught a flash of movement to my right. Thinking it's a buck, I swing over. I'm looking. Took me a second to realize that I'm looking at a bear running about 35 yards away from me. Got my mind straight, settled the crosshairs on his shoulder as he was going and dropped him by the grace of God, by the grace of God on the first shot. Uh, we were, we were in a bunch of blowdowns. So, you know, my, my first instinct after pulling the trigger is like, I got to get another round in him, sprinted up there. Couldn't cut his track. I was like, what, where in the world? He must have turned and went right away from me, you know, and circle and circle and circle. And then it dawned on me. I might have actually got him, you know, <laughs> I went back to where he was and he was laying right there at the end of his track. What it was though, he was bedded. He was bedded in a blowdown and that buck walked right past him. So as I was sneaking down that buck track, my wind must have swirled. He caught my wind, got up, didn't know where I was though, and just took off running. Fortunately, huh. in a direction that I could get a shot at him. That's pretty cool. So you didn't even cut a bear track. You were buck tracking and you ended up crossing paths with a, with a bear. Yeah. In, in the past, I've, uh, I've cut bear tracks up there in the snow and usually I either run out of daylight or I run out of ground that I'm allowed to be on. Mm. Cause I mean, you, I don't know if you ever tracked a bear or not, but like when they get up and they decide that they need to move, they just, they just go like, doesn't matter what kind of hills in their way or whatever. They're just going to walk. Yep. Yeah. And I, I've, I've even kind of like ran on some tracks like we we like jumped him up, like knew he wasn't that far, and ran basically, and I still couldn't catch him. Yeah, they're incredible. It's been a while since we've had, since I've had an opportunity to trail bear in the snow. I mean, probably, gosh, eighteen or nineteen is probably the last time it happened. Actually, I take that back. I did it a little bit in twenty twenty one. I got a little bit of snow for like two days when I was rifle hunting at my camp, but it it you know just didn't last very long and it was around a chop off and it went into the nastiest briar sticker mess and you know there was no quiet trailing the thing i was either going to chase it out of there or it was just gonna you know yep. walk circles around you right but that's pretty cool was that your first bear no that was my second bear i shot a bear in north carolina in 2016 oh yeah it was a right on the right on the coast you could smell the smell the salt water as you were hunting black bears it was pretty awesome 
So was that another one of those group hunts with, with friends and family that you did? No, that was, uh, my father-in-law had been going down there for a couple years. Uh, him and like 20, 25 guys had a lease there and, you know, he had done it for a couple years and asked me if I wanted to go. And I was like, well, it's like one of those things you don't say no to. So paid my dues and it was actually opening morning there. Now they, they run them with, uh, with hounds there. Right. That's, that's the style. feelings about that but i i can tell you it's not a guaranteed thing sure uh, but the first morning they did put up a bear and they got on the radio and they said uh, we need somebody and uh my father-in-law barked at me he's like get your butt moving like don't hesitate just go and i went and i i was fortunate to get my first bear there nice uh just real quick though like on that hunt i saw i saw 18 live bears and None of them were out of the twelve that we got. Wow, it was it was an amazing experience. So, was the bear density that high, or was it just the fact that hounds are that efficient? No, the bear density is that high. It's it's as thick as like if you go into a block of timber there, you basically have to crawl or use a chainsaw. And there there's literal bear tunnels mm-hmm. that come out of these thickets. It's just the wildest thing. But if you walk on those roads there, it's just there's more bear tracks on the road than there is tire tracks. You know, these back logging roads. But it's just that I don't know if it's the combination of the the cover, the food, the everything. It's just a wild place. Yeah, there's a lot of really good bear habitat on the East Coast. I mean, places I was at in New Jersey was the same thing. It's like it's no wonder there's so many bear here because the habitat's great. And you're like, you know, Pennsylvania has pockets of that too and stuff. But now, anyway, back to to deer. So you shot that that bear, and then right afterwards, you shot the buck. Yeah, the next day it was the last day of our hunt. I, uh, you know, at that point in the hunt, I don't, I was okay with what I what what had happened already. Like sure. I was just going, there was like a specific side of the mountain there that I had never walked before. And I just was going for a walk. I was hunting. I was hunting good, but like, I was content. Like I wasn't like beat myself up inside that I had to do something, you know, not that I always do, but you know, you you get get that that way. Absolutely. That that pressure or whatever. Uh, and I had hiked out through there a ways, a couple miles, saw some does, uh, nothing with antlers. And I was getting to the point where it was probably like 4.30, about 4 o'clock. And I, I wanted to drop down a bench and, and kind of come back to see what the habitat was like a little bit lower on the mountain. But I, I peeked over the last little rise there, and there was a creek drainage and uh, noticed a big-bodied deer. We had snow, so I noticed a big-bodied deer down there in the creek feeding. And, like, this is at the top of a mountain. It's just where the creek starts starts out of the hillside. So I pulled up. Nice buck. Couldn't tell what he had on the other side, but he had definitely four points on the one side. And uh, I was trying to get some brush cleared out from between me and him. I was moving towards him a little bit. And the wind in the mountains, if you've ever hunted, I mean, you obviously know it, it's it's never consistent. And it never like blew right at him. But at one point he lifted his head and he just looked my direction. And I I knew that I had to make it happen right there and then. So took the shot. He ran up onto the next point there and I caught up with him and, uh, beautiful, 
he's a six pointer. Seems to be my style. It's like they can be the biggest buck in the world, and it's gonna probably have six points if I pulled the trigger. It was a four. It was what like a four by two. Yeah, perfect on one side, and uh, just a big, big beam with one point sticking out the end on the other. Yeah, but it was a big deer, correct? Yeah, yeah, it was a big deer. He was five and a half years old. You believe in aging teeth or right? Tell the way he looked and his face and the body size that he had, he had some years on him. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Back in 2018, I shot a buck that was the exact opposite of him. So now I have these two bucks on my wall. He's got four, like one's got four on one side with the two on the other and the other one's the exact opposite. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah I, uh, yeah, I, speaking of that, I just uh, the buck I shot this year. Like, it's amazing how similar he is to another buck that I have on my wall. That's uh, it's just it's memories. It's memories. I mean, uh, you, you you can't replace that. So the the you were walking out the side hill. Was were you doing like a little bit of tracking at that sense too? Uh, or just kind of still hunting. Yeah, I was still hunting. Like I didn't, I hadn't come across a track that caught my. Like, you know, at that point in the evening, it was going to have to be a really fresh track to, for me to be able to make something happen if I took off on a track. And uh, it just so happened that, like, at the base of the other side of the mountain, we had drove down there prior, and there was about 20 guys lined out getting ready to come up into that side of the mountain. So, like, they were driving out that whole entire valley, basically. And like, as I was going out my side of the mountain, you could see where the deer had come up over already and like from, had been bumped from that side. So I was just mainly still hunting. That's, that's what I was trying to do. Just taking in the landscape and seeing if it was worth a shot next year. Yeah. I, the, the tracking side of things, I've not really had many experiences doing that. Most of the time it's because I haven't had many opportunities in the first place to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous of the northern states. I mean, I I guess it used to snow here like that, but it doesn't anymore. Uh The first year we went up there, we had snow and I I I literally laid my eyes on two nice bucks the first day. And like the one I three nice three three nice bucks the first day. And like the one I tracked and a hunter shot him out in front of me. But like the other two I was like, "Oh man, they got away." And then after the hunt, I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, you're, you're kind of an idiot, Aaron. Like <laughs> you had snow. I don't know if I was just like, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I didn't like aggressively pursue those deer. So like the next year I said, if I get snow and get on a good track or see a good buck, I'm going till dark. I don't, I don't care. I put enough stuff in my pack. I can spend the night if I need to out there, but, uh, and then just so happened the next year we had snow. So it was just like every buck track I hit, it was just, I'm going. And if I don't get them, I'm learning. That was the main goal. Like I'm, I want to know like if I went too fast or if I, you know, it's just my buddy and I, the one morning we got on a fresh track and we're like, all right, let's take it. And it's tough when you have two people just because twice the movement. It's quiet walking because of the snow, but there's sticks under the snow. 
anyhow, this buck went out this mountainside for about a mile and a half and he would, it was like he knew exactly where the doe groups were because he, he dropped down a little bit and you could see in the snow where he harassed a couple does checking them and then he'd go on to the next one. Got out there about a mile and a half and there was this little tiny thicket of beach brush on this point. It's just a subtle point. And he slowed his, he slowed way down and he just meandered down in there. And I was like, all right, he's in there. I said, there's no way me and you are both going in there without bumping him because it's just so thick. So I, my buddy Justin, he took the side of the thicket. Just as I went in, he kind of, he stayed back a little bit, but worked his way down over in hopes that if I bumped him, it would run out his way. I was going slow, but I didn't realize how slow you really have to go. And I bumped that deer about 75 yards into the thicket and missed him as he got out of his bed. And then he went out the opposite side of the thicket. But like just that track taught me, not that I had much knowledge, but like the amount of knowledge that I gained from that, you know, is priceless. And I guess if I'm, if I have any tips to give anyone, it's just like, if you find yourself in that situation, you, you can't really, as long as you go in with it, into it with a, a learning mindset, you can't mess up. Like, even if he gets away, like I feel way more confident tracking deer and I've only done it like four and a half days. Yeah. Just from gaining that kind of information. Well, I mean, the one thing you said about about uh, how much movement you get away with stuff, like I, I learned when I was hunting with my uncle at a young age one time, we were hunting on the ground, and uh, he just said, if you're seeing tails, you're going too fast. And he's like, about the time you think I'm walking too fast, I need to slow down, that's the time when, boom, something's going to get up and, and take off and like you, you like, catch yourself quick enough. But at the same time, like when you're hunting – uh, Northern Pennsylvania, New York, Mer- Vermont, you know, big wood stuff. Um, you know, sometimes they can cover ground. It's sometimes it's a little bit hard to know when, when do I move and when do I like really slow down? Like when am I trying to gain ground versus, you know, and that, that's, that's just tough. I mean, I've heard, uh, I've heard guys that hunt and are trackers you know talk about finding a track that's you know not old but it's a few hours old not going very far and boom they bumped the deer it just was laying there for that long and it's that it's that judgment of your the woods and the topography and where do i think a deer's going to bed and it that's just part of the fun it's 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 the process like like you were saying it's enjoy the process not the i got to kill this yeah i mean even the guys that do this every year like the if there's professional trackers out there they don't get a deer every time they go out like there's if you follow any of them you can see like it could take them till the third fourth week of season because like northern states they tend to have longer rifle seasons you know but like those guys struggle too it's Mm. not unique to to us but if they're struggling that just shows you how hard it is because they're they're used to it they know what they're doing and they're still the deer still win right hey the one of the funniest things i i ever did a buck i killed in 2019 um i was hunting 
it was you know first year in rifle season that I had a tag for a while. I didn't even pick my bow up for a buck that year, if I remember correctly. So the opening day, I decided I was going to go to camp with Dad, and uh, <clears throat> they always like to go and park at this one area, and uh, it's on a road that is generally closed most of the year, but they'll open it for hunting season. And that year, there was some logging going on, and they kept that road closed. So my dad was all bummed out this area, and I'm like, well, it's an opportunity to go check a new area. So I had looked and and did what we were talking about, map scouted it just to kind of get an idea of where things looked. I mean, I I, I guess I kind of looked at it and said, well... There's there's cut there's cuts close to this road and I think there's going to be people close to this road especially knowing that they're not going to spread the, the the people out as much with that road being closed there's going to be more people parked in this one area so that might people you know put them close to the road in that one spot right more pressure so I thought well you know maybe that means if I can go on the other side of this cut and hunt the hunt the mountains and the side hills and stuff like that out in front you know maybe I can connect with some so I did that and went through people through the cut backside I'm walking out through it was it was loud walking but it was really really windy so I could get away with a lot but walking on the side hill I took a step and like the ground gave way and I'm like one-legging, trying to keep my balance, like doing the whole arm movement, and finally I couldn't do it anymore. And I, I planted my foot real loud. Of course, it was in a pile of sticks. And the minute yep. I did that, I'm I'm already looking down the ridge below me. I'm on a side hill, look on the bench below me, and a buck jumped up. And uh, I saw right away, had a long beam and bunch of points up top, so I knew it was legal, knew it was decent. Threw the gun up, it was in the crosshairs, I pulled the trigger, and I dropped it in its tracks. It was like, that was so, like, clumsy and, like, not picturesque, but it was also one of the coolest memories of shooting a buck. Because, like, I'll never forget, too, like, I shot, and when I, like, I know sometimes people say, like, they can see what happens through their scope, and I've never been able to do that. Like, I shoot... I blink or there's too much recoil or whatever, I can't tell. So I'm working the bolt of my rifle, and I'm looking for the deer for the next shot. And I'm looking, I'm like, there's no way this thing got out of sight that quick. Where did this deer go? I'm looking and looking and looking. I'm, I refuse to put the gun down because I'm thinking at any second he's going to turn or, you know, on the other side of the ridge and stuff. And I'm like, finally, I just, I got to give up and put this gun down. So I did, and I started looking in my binoculars, and all of a sudden I'm like, holy cow, he's laying there. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we don't make those kind of shots very often, but we'll yeah, take it when we do, right? No, and I'd love to say it's because I'm that good, but Lord knows that's not the case. <coughs> now, that's those are the kind that you never forget either. You know, that, right. that'll stick with you forever. Right. So, what do you got? Uh, what do you got going for the rest of the hunting season now? Uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about it. This is the first year in five or six years that I've had my buck tag going in to the uh, late season and uh, my personal favorite season is flintlock here in pennsylvania so i'm probably gonna jinx myself but like the last four years i've had legal bucks within 50 yards of me (laughs) with a flintlock in my hand and no no buck tag so i'm gonna try pretty hard here to get another one in range and then see if i can hit them 
Have you ever killed a buck with a flintlock? No, no, I haven't. And uh, I, I'm I'm so pumped that I'm probably gonna disappoint myself. But it's uh, that's that's kind of my goal. And I I told myself that when I knew that bow season was gonna be limited, I was like, I'm either gonna shoot my best buck with a bow, or I'm gonna take this tag into flintlock season. So I've been I've been shooting my flintlock. I got a couple hot oak flats picked out and I just need one to cooperate. Where's your confidence level at shooting the gun? Uh, I mean, I I don't like shooting deer with it over 50 yards. So mm-hmm. like, and, and a lot of times my opportunities have come within bow range. So I'm, I'm pretty confident that if I get them in range, I can, I can get them. It's just, I mean, it's flintlock hunting. You can you can be the best shooter out there, and you get that one hang fire, or you know it, it's so different. Like I, I I hope everyone tries it someday, but it's like you're on you're on the range shooting and you're doing well, and then for some reason you put a deer in front of you, and and everything everything changes. Uh, and my my goal is always to make the most ethical shot that I can. Sure. So it's just. Yeah. Yeah, taking confident. yeah. Taking your time I think was the hardest thing for me cuz like and that's like a thing I had to learn like rifle I could get away with anything, right? You you see a deer in the scope, bang, you pull the trigger, you're dead. You, you, you're dead. I got you. Um, you know, archery, I I learned, you know, the hard way at a young age, you know, I need to take my time cuz if I don't and rush a shot, I'm off by a little bit. That's going to be a problem, and it's the same thing with the flintlock. I like, I have a shooting process I need to go through, and it's not that I can't shoot quick, but like I need to, you need to stay focused and 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 keep that because th- like the slightest movement or rush of the shot, pulling off with iron sights, like it it can it can bite you quick. Yeah, I mean it's a, I think aiming small is critically important with a flint lock and, it, and it's tough because the iron sights i mean it doesn't take that deer being very far away before you're covering that deer up with the sights right so you need to practice you need to know where your gun hits and you need to to aim as small as you possibly can in that situation my my problem's always been i get excited and i forget to get my my cheek down on the stock the whole way so that that puts that front sight you know it doesn't it doesn't get buried where it needs to be. So if I miss, usually I go over the top, which is, which is good. That's where I would want to, I would want to miss there. You know, sure. I'd rather have a clean miss than a, than a bad hit, but. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've said a long time, I'd really like to shoot a buck with my flint lock. I mean, I like that gun. I would say flint lock hunting is second to archery for me. Um, but yeah, like I say that, but I never, ever, want to like get out of archery season with no buck tag filled you know you know what i mean so like it's a it's like a second place kind of thing for me even though i i really would like to do it i mean i you know maybe what i need to do is you know take it on an out-of-state hunt somewhere you know when a gun season opens up just take the flintlock and go try to shoot a buck with it you know that'd be something that would be be cool to do yep that's probably that's probably your best bet if you I mean, I completely understand bow season. And then for some reason, when you get to rifle season, if you see any kind of legal buck, at least for me, it's like, well, this is it. This is the end of the 
this is the last opportunity I'm going to have. You know, it's it's hard for me to hold out in rifle season. Yeah. But I didn't even I didn't even barely get out with it this year, so that helped that helped save my buck tag for Flintlock. So with uh, with the late season hunting, are you going to do, do you mostly treat it like your archery hunting and stand hunt a lot in those areas that you scout, or do you like to kind of walk around a little bit? It just depends on the weather conditions. Uh, I, I love walking. If we have snow, I'm I'm probably still hunting, but. The last couple of years, like if, if you can find that hot food source and, and if you can just get in there and sit there, especially if it's cold, like that cold weather and this next week doesn't look very great. It's going to be in the forties and fifties, mm-hmm. but you get that cold snap, you get the right food source and those deer. I've seen them literally run like 250 yards and then stop at the oak tree. Cause at that point in the season, they're just, that's the only thing on their mind. They haven't been, they haven't been hunted for a while. They're kind of back to their normal archery. Uh, they're kind of dumbing around a little bit, just focused on survival. But, and then there'll be a couple of days where I get out with the guys and we do a couple of bumps and yeah. Drives. That's always fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I enjoy that a lot and I haven't done a lot of, late season hunting by myself i've done some and i've had some good hunts and shot some deer that way but yeah a lot of the time it's been the getting with a group of guys make some bumps and and shoot you know try to shoot some deer that way and that's that's a lot of fun a lot of time they're herded up and stuff but the uh yeah the the one thing i've struggled with in uh with flintlock hunting or i shouldn't say flintlock hunting late season hunting i've struggled hunting the mornings a lot of time it seems like stuff and the places I hunt, for the most part, is back to bed. And when, when you get those cold, cold, still mornings, man, you can't go anywhere without stuff knowing you're you're there with the leaves off the trees and everything else. Like, I, I feel like you can't get away with anything. Yeah, so if I don't have snow, snow's kind of the outlier. Like, if I have snow, I'm out there all day. But the majority of my late season still like when i'm stand hunting or on the ground it's i'm gonna wait till noon i'm gonna sneak into a spot that i'm confident and that's where i'll be at because i've hunted the mornings and if they are on the food source you're bumping them out when you go in uh or they're already laying down like they've already been up all night feeding they're just i don't know i just haven't had much luck in the late season in the morning yeah it's been me too and what weather weather i think will will play a big role in that well hey we've been rolling for for quite a while here i want to be mindful of your time because i know you uh, you got some kiddos i don't know if they're off the bed yet or not but uh let's uh let's wrap this up and go so so you talked about you know the group trip you did i think you said you did ohio the past three years you've been new york um you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, trying to shoot a buck with the flintlock this year, and I already know you're going to do it. You're going to find one here next week and put your tag on. I can't wait to see the hero picks. So we, we're, we're knocking some stuff off the list. So let's uh, let's take all that into consideration. Now let's put, uh, put yourself into the 2024, 2025 shoes, something like that. If you had to pick um, a hunt that you'd want to do, and it could be anywhere – you know, you don't have to worry about work holding you back or anything like that. What What's the next thing or the, the next way of hunting or place or something like that? You're like, man, I really want to check that off. Are we, are we talking specifically whitetails or? It doesn't have to be. Okay. 
Well, just real quick. Next year, I'll have five points in Iowa. Mm. So next next fall, I should be sitting in a tree in Iowa in November. So that's, I mean, as far as whitetails goes, that's top of the list. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully, I'll have it on video, show everybody. But uh, beyond that, I would I would want to hunt elk in like those white aspen trees with my bow. Like that's just always been a. <clears throat> Uh, probably from watching the outdoor channel when I was younger, them coming through there bugling. Like that's just, that's, that's top of my list. Good deal. I'm excited to hear now. Now you tell me you've got Iowa. I, uh, I don't know why I've always loved the idea and the thought of doing it, but I just haven't convinced myself that I'm going to go in five years and I'm going to start putting the points in. First of all, I know the, the cost of it went up a little bit, which, okay, you know, if you're going to go on a trip like that, but, um, I, I just keep finding all these stupid little reasons not to go do it at least once. And I don't know why I should just put the points in and go experience it. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's amazing how quickly five years goes by. I would encourage you to, to buy the points, whether it's there or if there's some other kind of hunt that requires points, start getting them because, like, by the time I draw this next time, I'll be I'll be 38 years old. You know, and that's if the points don't creep. Like yeah. right now, it's at five, and all of, all of us guys on social media are <laughs> making the points creep a little bit. I think so. Yeah, you better. There's uh, there's definitely some downside to the whole podcast and videos and social media and stuff, but. It's it's part of it now. The only thing that stays the same is everything changes. Yep. Hey, before we let you go, um, you know, quick uh, quick, let people know where they can follow along YouTube and everything else. Yeah, um, so the YouTube channel is called Legendary Pursuits. Uh, just post real content. Uh, try to make it relatable. It's what we experience. Uh, we're on all the major social media platforms uh, we're not going to shove products down your throat if we if we mention something it's because we believe in it not because someone's paying us to do it and uh, we're just trying to show everyone what it's what it's really like out there and what an average guy can accomplish in the outdoors good deal well hey best of luck here in late season like i said i'll be anxious to see that uh that snowy buck with a flintlock right across its shoulder there i'll be anxious to see it so best of luck all right man appreciate you having me on take it easy